Hello, everybody. It's Casey Case. I'm bringing you a brand new episode of Get Real. On this episode, I sat down with Pat Mayo from the Pat Mayo Experience. You should check out his content with Mayo Media Network on YouTube, as well as follow the series of Mayo Media Network podcasts. You can follow Pat on Twitter at VPME. On this episode, we talked about getting started in the industry, how you can make your studio area pop, things to keep in mind if you are pursuing this as a full-time career, sports betting and its rise as of late, and much more. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at TheCaseyCasem. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at GetReal underscore pod. And you can find my writing over with the Fantasy Footballers. This podcast is a proud member of the DAP Network. Make sure to go and check out all of those podcasts on the network. They're super dope. And now, without further ado, I bring you my conversation with Pat Mayo. Because this podcast is a good look at, I mean, you know, the basic, you know, how it is. But, you know, um, for the people that are just now listening for the first time, I'm going to ask you the the question I ask everybody at the very beginning is, Pat, how did you get involved in fantasy sports in general in the first place? Sure. Do you want me to start there? Or are you going to start you the can, show? No. Nah, see, we just go right on into it. And then at the end, I'll have you. Yeah, it's just nice. And <sighs> and then at the end, you can plug all your stuff. The amount of editing you must have to do <laughs> for this sounds ridiculous. It's it's actually gotten a lot easier. <laughs> okay. I just have to, like, record an intro prior to the show, you know, putting the show out and stuff. So that part I kind of just have to roll with now because I like, I'm trying to figure out what I like the best, but yeah, I try to just get it started. So kind of try to transition into a, a, you know, natural conversation, even though it comes off completely fake because I ask you the same question I ask everybody, but, for sure. but, but yeah, <laughs> I, I gotcha. but like, yeah. How did you originally get involved in fantasy sports in the first place? I, in fantasy sports by itself, I think I did in my first league, geez, last year of high school. So like 2001, 2002, around that time, back when you still had to pay for up-to-date stats on Yahoo, uh, which we paid our eight bucks a month and we were good to go for the season. Before that, we were trying to like add it on paper and just being horribly wrong the entire time because... You know, trying to get like return yards for special teams in there back then too it was much tougher to find the stats at the same time so around then is when i got into it i just played essentially with my friends for you know five six years throughout college everything like that and i finally graduated and decided that the square jobs weren't really for me at least i didn't like them uh, i felt like they would probably eventually have to be for me but I was going to give this a go because I had no job at the time. Uh, I had moved to Calgary across the country to move in with my friend who had just graduated. He was an engineer out there in the oil sand. So he was raking in bucks. So he charged me 100 bucks a month rent. He's like, do whatever you want to do for six months. If it's you know, write a book, do whatever you want. You got a place to live and you can get away from basically your family at this point. You'll have no distractions. So that's when I got into writing fantasy football. I started a blog on my own. And then it's funny because now, like when I see people spam their work up onto my feed, I'm just like, ah, damn, no one's ever going to read this. But that's actually what I did at the time. So <laughs> yeah. I would go to like on you know, late 2000s Facebook and just mm. spam my blog everywhere. And eventually the hits started going up. I would write 
what is really the template for the shows that I do now, like when you looked at like ESPN or Yahoo, there weren't that many places covering fantasy football. So you do your start sits, you do the rankings. I actually did a spread picks column where my friend and I just went against each other head to head, wrote a sentence or two about it, moved on. Then it was in waiver wires who were the pickups. So all of the stuff that you would expect. Uh, and then I transitioned over to fantasy baseball right towards the end of fantasy football season. And a guy reached out to me and said, like, hey, why don't you just do work for my site? Uh, no pay. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm not <laughs> Anyway, uh, it seemed like a, it was a real website. It wasn't like a blog spot site. So I thought, you know, this is it. I made it. I'm not getting paid and I get to write for like 20 hours a week, but it was awesome. I wrote the entire baseball guide that year, all 450 players, all the articles I was editing. And eventually that site got acquired by Roto experts later on that season, like midway through football season. So I just became a back man on the roster there along with the six other people that came along with me. And I, I was writing hockey, I was writing football, I was writing baseball, I was writing basketball, and I got a chance to write golf that year for the first time too. And then the guy who wrote golf full time for them, who I assumed also wasn't getting paid, but he was like the lead golf guy. I think he like plagiarized and he immediately got fired. So I became oh. the new golf guy. So that's how I got into golf. Anyone ever wants to know that. Uh, I mean, I played golf, but fantasy golf wise, I just started writing about it then. So I was there for ages, uh, not getting paid because... I mean, I don't know what the pay structure is like now for people trying to break in. I assume it's not good, but I do think that they will give you like 20 bucks an article to write, at least at some places. But I basically worked from 2009 to 2013, no pay. Uh, I went back to school at the time, too. So it was after graduation from college. I went mm -hmm. back to broadcasting school for two years. I thought, you know, this kind of transitions to what I do. All I'm doing is writing. I started the Pat Mayo experience at that time. Uh, and it was really hack, like really, really bad. Uh, like we were just talking about before we started the show, I'm testing out different microphones now for different people. I was wearing like a very rudimentary headset on blog talk radio and not <laughs> knowing what the hell I was doing, just trying to talk about football and baseball the entire time. And I assume it wasn't good. And I think those have been taken off the internet. So I'm very thankful for all of that. But at Roto Experts, uh, I eventually moved down to the States I lived in Jersey for a bit. I lived in Manhattan for a bit because they wanted to take a launch into video. That's what sportsgrid.com is now. But before that, mm -hmm. we launched this video network. And it was funny because the guys that brought me down, I was like, you know, I don't need a ton of pay, but I do need somewhere to live, that kind of thing. Uh, so they, they took care of all that. That was great. I wasn't really making much money, but enough to survive, which was nice. And I got to live in a different country, which was not as jarring as I thought it would be. There's just you know minor differences moving from Canada to the United States uh, that you just wouldn't really notice. But I was living in Toronto at the time. Uh, and when I lived in Manhattan, it's, you know, Manhattan's more on the go all the time. But there are cities of millions and millions and millions of people. Uh, Toronto is basically Canada's New York. So that wasn't that big of a difference. Moving to like the middle of New Jersey, that was a big difference <laughs> for me uh, as opposed to where I had been living before that but so i started up their uh youtube channel for them they wanted to run a 24 7 fantasy sports online network um and i was like all right that sounds awesome i'll lead the way on this and i got there and it turns out i was the only employee and they were like all right get to it and i was like ah, don't think you understand how video works especially then 
mm-hmm. streaming has come an awful long way. It's much easier to do now, but we were recording on a green screen that I had brought with me with a handy cam I had brought with me, editing on my laptop through a version of Final Cut X that I had scraped off like Pirate Bay. So it wasn't uh, the most ideal situation going, but eventually that company merged with a company back in Canada to start the Fantasy Sports Network, which was an actual TV channel. So I became the first employee of that, moved back to Toronto, and um, uh, that's basically what I've been doing ever since. I was still writing full-time for Roto Experts because that kind of got merged into everything, but I was the main host of their flagship show, which was like a half hour, like sports centery type show about fantasy sports. Then one day I decided to go into the closet that no one was using there, set up a studio and film the video version of the podcast I was doing. We had no you know, extra people on it. So I produced the entire thing, switched the cameras below the camera line. So no one could really see what I was doing, called the guests and was just talking to them. And I'd go put the graphics in afterwards, but that was good enough to get my show on the network uh, every single day. So from there, it's just been, it's what I've been doing ever since for like the past seven, eight years. And I know you've been real instrumental in like helping people get ideas on how to to do their YouTube videos and how to do that. Because I, even when I was talking to Mike, he brought you up and said like you were like the gold standard of you know doing that kind of stuff. And so it's really cool that that you put out a product like this. It's it's so it's such a good product. Uh, everything that you get your hands involved in, it seems like you know as a little step above <laughs> above what you know. Well, which is a breath of fresh air because a lot of stuff, you know, you have to weed out the stuff, but knowing that you've been in this industry for as long as you have doing this stuff, the way that you do it. And, and it always looks so sharp. And I know you said that the beginning stuff was, you know, not, you know, it's gone now, hopefully, you know, this, that, and the other, but do you ever go back and listen to yourself when you first started just to kind of get an idea of like how, how much you've improved? Never, never happens. <laughs> Uh, someone sent me one of my old videos that I, I actually, right after broadcasting school, that's when I first got a green screen because I knew I didn't have the production budget really to do much, but I knew how to do everything, which is mm-hmm. still something that is a huge advantage to me. Like I only work with one other person to produce my show because I still have all the technical know-how of editing and doing graphics. And he's someone that I went to college with. So between us, we can split all the production. So he can live, do all the live production and pre-production. And I can still do a lot of the post-production. And even when people see me taking notes during the show, those are basically editing notes for after the fact. So Mm -hmm. I don't have to go back and listen through to an hour and a half to make sure the time codes are right or, hey, this graphic needs to go in here, this part needs to be cut, that kind of thing. Or this is where an ad break goes in. I can just kind of do that on the fly because I know I'm the one editing it afterwards and I can mm-hmm. go put in the spots and you know, editing at that point takes like 10 minutes rather than five and a half hours as it takes some people. Uh, and we can still maintain the quality that we run at. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like uh, me. <laughs> and, 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 I, I love editing. Like when I would do the show at Fantasy, where I didn't have an editor for the show. I didn't have a sound mixer for the show. I didn't have a graphics person for the show. That all fell on me to do. So I, some days, like, especially during like the summer when you could film football stuff pretty far in advance, 
And then by the time you got to it, if news had changed, you could cut that section out kind of thing. Like very rarely would you lose an entire show. If you filmed 70 minutes, you could still get 60 good minutes from it and cut out the part where the guy blew out his knee for the entire season. Then no <laughs> one would be the wiser. But right. essentially, I would just go in with all of this raw footage on like a Saturday and Sunday, and just edit for 12 hours straight one day, 12 hours straight the next day, and just try to crank out like six, seven eight shows. Unfortunately, the that's when I got into the habit of taking these notes live as I do it. So I can just drop it on the timeline. All right, this graphic goes here, this graphic goes here, this graphic goes here. But to go back and listen to it, no, I don't think that I could do it. I think it would be just, my ego couldn't take it because I thought it was yeah. so good at the time. And like the one that I've seen, it's like, this is so fucking bad. Like it's, it's embarrassing. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to feel like that forever. I think it's just like, I, I, I don't like hearing myself talk and I feel like I ramble and it's just like, nah, I'm good. I don't need to listen to that. Um, <laughs> so when you first started out, what was the biggest, I guess, hurdle you ha you faced when you were first starting out? There wasn't really that much to tell you the truth. Cause I had no expectation this would ever become a thing. That's why I ended mm -hmm. up going to broadcasting school. Cause I had been doing this. I wasn't getting any pay. It was taking up a lot of time, but I enjoyed doing it. That was the thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's why everyone gets into fantasy sports, the industry to begin with. I don't think anyone looks at this. Maybe they do now because of all the gambling money that's come yeah. in. And even when like all the DFS money first came in, in like 2014, 2015, people saw an opportunity to go make a lot of money because that was available out there if you hit the right chord kind of thing. But at the time, it was like, yeah, this is like a hobby that people do. Most of the people in the industry who didn't work, if you weren't one of these six people that worked for a major outlet, you were probably writing fantasy sports like at your law office. A lot of former lawyers at the time were fantasy sports writers, and that's just what the industry was. So there was no expectation. And again, that's why I ended up going back to school because you know I wanted to you know, host Sports Center or be on TV in some sort of sports capacity. It taught me that I wanted to work in sports. But the more and more I got into it and the more I, more I learned about you know, the pay structure and how you actually have to get on TV, and a lot of that has changed in 10 years now, versus, oh, I learned how to light. I learned how to use a green screen. I know how to use the camera. I know how to sound mix. I know how to use an edit. I, and I'm, I got trained to be on TV that I wasn't great at reading prompters, but I was good if the camera was on. Uh, right. Once you get past that first hurdle, like once you get so many of these reps that no one sees, uh, eventually you start getting a little bit more comfortable. It's never exactly the most comfortable thing in the world, but you lose the, there's giant bright lights in your face. You lose that, hey, I'm talking into a camera. You just start speaking like you normally would, like you know, TV normally would. Um, it's not necessarily, you try to mimic the effect of sitting next to someone at a bar talking to them. However, right. that's not exactly what it's going to be. So once I learned I could do all those things, I thought, you know, I don't want to, I, where I'm in Canada, the, it was very old school mentality of, hey, if you want to be on like a major sports network here, there, there's three of them at the time and you want to be an anchor. Well, you need to go to you know, butt fuck nowhere, Northwest Territories, go work for their like local news channel and try to become the sports person there. It was like, I have no interest in that. I'd rather try to like double and triple down on this fantasy thing. And there was no one doing video in it in the space. It's like, I can produce this myself. I can put it out there. And realistically, the only reason that I ended up getting the paid job and really breaking mm -hmm. through, like my writing was fine. Uh, people seemed to like it. It did decent traffic. 
but it really got me nowhere. But as soon as I started doing video, uh, everything changed for me because I was able to like, they were like, Hey, we need two minutes on this trade that just happened in baseball where this guy just got hurt in football. I was like, yeah, I can do that. It's not a problem. And just send it over to them within the hour. And they were like, Jesus, like I, I <laughs> people could do this. <laughs> what is, what is something that you think people overlook when they first start out in video, when they're putting out videos, what's something that you think needs more focus that people kind of forget about? I think it's presence and mm -hmm. everyone's presence is going to be different. So for better or for worse, uh, and this isn't, it's kind of the, the thing that I, when I, when you were talking to Mike, like I got Mike on fantasy with the footballers. Cause I found them on YouTube. I was like, Hey, this is pretty good. Like the, the video quality was good enough at the time, but like they sounded really good. And obviously their dynamic, I mean, it's changed over the years, but they had that right mm -hmm. away. And that was the vibe that they were going for. And Mike coming from a background where he knew a lot about audio, it sounded so good. Like, being up to that, like try to do one thing well, I suppose. Like if you're mm -hmm. going to be a hot take person, have hot takes. But even if they're the most insane things of all time, but just you know, be committed to that. I, I think what people get in trouble with a lot on camera is not being concise enough and not having the presence on camera to deliver what they want to. Like, am I the best fantasy sports analyst? Absolutely not. One of the worst, probably, to tell you the truth. <laughs> but I say things with a certain amount of conviction. People tend to believe me. And that's really what video is. Video is so different than writing. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things that I try to work with, like now that I have a network up and running, I'm trying to take different contributors and give them a platform too. Uh, and I was just working with a guy uh, who had been sending me videos. He wanted to get on to do soccer. I was like, I have a need for soccer. If you're a soccer person, send me some videos. And his presence was okay. But his mm -hmm. first video was 41 minutes long of him just talking into a camera. I was like, you need to cut this uh -huh. five minutes. Make this five minutes and tell me what I need to know. I right. don't need to know every single thing about this person and their history. Just tell me why I should play them. That's literally mm -hmm. why I'm tuning into this. Now, I'm a bad example because some of my shows run like two and a half hours, but that's after seven years, you can cultivate a different sort of audience. They're willing right. to stick with you right away. I don't need to know the 10 things about the guy of why I should play him. I need to know the one thing about the guy, why I should mm -hmm. play him. Then you need to move on to the next one. So you start small, you go big, but trying to cut out the fluff and not the fluff of having fun because mm -hmm. there's two separate types of shows and video shows, or I, I'm going to lump like audio podcasts into this too, where some of them really work in long form. Some you want to ramble and you want to tell fun stories and go off track. There's other certain types of content where that really has no place. Like I do a video for the PGA tour every single week. It's two minutes. Uh, here's the course preview. Here's the field preview, something about DraftKings. Here's two guys you can play. And here's a plug for me. How do I fit all of that into two minutes? You need to be concise and you need to hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it every single time in and out. Cause that's what they're looking for. That's what their audience is looking for. I can direct them to the show that I do about the same topic. That's 50 minutes long, but more people and their audience in particular just wants a two minute version. Oh, I should play these two guys. Perfect. That's all I wanted to know. And do you think that's why Twitter is such an important part to the fantasy community because it's so short and concise and to the point, or why do you think Twitter is so important to what's going on with fantasy right now? 
I think it's the interactivity of it all that if you truly do have a question that you can, um, it almost be like everyone's in a giant room and you can go up and tap the person on the shoulder that you want to ask about something and they will generally get back to you. And that's an awesome feature to have. And you've seen a lot of people when they try to monetize their product that I remember like just as an example of Roto Experts, they sold a premium package back then with, you know, it's it's email advice. You have a question, there's a team of people that will get back to you by Sunday. And I was just answering questions for free on Twitter. And then everyone just, it built my following and it helped no one else. And I was like, this is a terrible product. No one wants to pay for this when it's free and better everywhere else. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> true facts. Um, on Twitter, how or just social media in general, because you were talking about Facebook and, and all that stuff too. Um, how do you, how should people go about that are first starting out that want to kind of network? Because I, I keep hearing networking is important, but I also hear don't come off rude, don't come off, you know, like in your face, like like that kind of stuff. How, how should people go about, you know, trying to form a relationship with somebody that they admire or whatever? I really don't know. I think it's per I think it depends on the person that you're trying to reach out to. So I generally respond to emails a lot better than I do random Twitter requests because right. I put out a thing where I need people to work for this network. I need new on-air talent. And you know, people want to be on camera, people want to do this. That's that's a want that people have, whether they're good or whether they're bad. You know, you don't know until you see it. Um and then I would say, hey, send uh, whatever to this email or contact me at this email. And then people would contact me on Twitter. I was like, listen, this is not what my Twitter is for. Like, I don't read my mentions all that often. Uh, it depends on what I'm doing that day. But just I find it very unproductive. I would like to read everything. But then I spend like an hour reading stuff. And I'm like, oh, man, this makes me feel like shit. I don't want to feel like shit. So I'm going to stop reading all this stuff. Emails, at least if someone writes an email to you, by and large, uh, they're a bit more serious about what's going on. So if they couldn't even follow that standard, uh, they're off the list right away. But the amount of people be like, yeah, I want to do like something for me. Like I want to do golf picks. I was like, well, I do golf picks. We're looking for all sports here. Maybe like that's just bad sense to me. Yeah. That so your goal of wanting a job for me is to replace me on my own network that's probably not going to work out too well for you. Even if you're better than me, that's just probably not going to happen. So that's why I bring up the example of Ethan and soccer, because I, I put out what I needed people for. He's like, Hey, I know soccer. I know drafting soccer. I know betting on soccer. Uh, can I try this out? I was like, yeah, that would be awesome. Can you send me a demo? And he sent me the demo. And then I watched it through. I watched like 15 minutes of it. It was way too long. Uh, here's <laughs> some things that you can fix. Here's how you should position your camera. Get another one back to me. So like a week later, he sent me a new one. It was like 20 minutes. Then the next one was 10 minutes, you know, watch it through some more like, hey, with your you know ins and outs, here's what you need to be plugging right away. You need to get into this faster. And he took the advice and he worked on it. And that is so rare. I actually did put out a Twitter thread about this, that most people are like, hey, I win on DraftKings, put me on air. It's like, that's not how this works. There's a reason that all of the people that win the most money playing daily fantasy or even the high stakes fantasy football leagues or win the most embedding. Yeah, they're not on shows. Is it because they win too much money doing what they do? No, it's because they're not good at communication and what they they can't articulate to you 
what it is that they're doing. They have no presence. That's why they're not on air. Because realistically, if you could just do both, if you're the best gambler in the world, maybe you wouldn't need the money because you're making so much money. But if you were the best gambler, you could sell your picks, just your picks for mm -hmm. I don't know, 200 bucks a night if they were winning that much or 200 bucks a week during football, $500 a week. It would be free money. It'd be a printing press for you. But if you can't get on camera and tell you and sell yourself and why these picks are good, you're going to have no shot. That's what you know leaves losers like me who lose their money, but people still tune into us anyway. <laughs> and yeah, for sure. And, and that's a great way to look at it. I, I, I never really thought about it like that, but yeah, that makes sense. Um, what, how much of being entertaining matters when it comes to, I, I mean, I know you don't want to go over the top if that's not who you are as a person, but how, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, how, how do you let your personality shine? Let's say if you're doing a podcast and you're just doing it by yourself. That's hard. Yeah. It's very, very difficult. So I actually started putting in more solo shows every week just to get better at it. Because uh, right. I went, we went through a studio meltdown at one point where we just couldn't get in. The guest wasn't in studio, and most of my guests are via the internet. That we just weren't able to patch them through for whatever reason until we got this fixed. That lasted three weeks or so. So all of a sudden, I was thrust into a position where I had to do 45, 50, one-hour shows all by myself. And I know the first ones weren't very good, but you get better at it. And that is a very uncomfortable situation. That is a, a real talent to know how to do. Because you hear some people who host three-hour radio shows. They essentially just fight mm -hmm. with themselves the entire time. And it's such a skill not to go, mm, and ah, to fill the pauses. And I still do it. I'm not great at it. However, if you can live with the silence and let it sit, it becomes a lot easier. The issue is when you're playing off a different person and try to be entertaining, like you can tell them jokes. They can tell you right. jokes. You guys can laugh about things. You can tell what's working and what's not working. When you do it by yourself, mm -hmm. it is, I listen, I'm very guilty of some very cringy moments of trying to be hilarious by myself and then watching it back and editing and be like, oh my God, that needs to go. Like that is, that is not funny. <laughs> I don't know what I was trying to do with this. I was trying to be funny. This is not funny, but having at least that sort of awareness, like when I do my job, being on air is one thing. And that's a job at the time that I'm doing it. I prep for the show. I shoot the show, but once I'm into post-production mode, it's a completely different mentality that if you're going to be an editor, you can't be like, well, I'm not going to edit anything. Like there's a reason that it's called editing. Not, not everything is pure gold. And the fact that you get to hear the stuff that gets left in to think about what's get, think about what gets cut at that point. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't do like with my show, since it's so conversation based, it's a lot of like when I listen back to it, to edit it, which listening back to things is like you said, no fun. Um, but listening back to edit it and stuff just to take out like, you know, like you said, write down, there's like a big pause here or whatever. But for people who have never edited before in their entire lives, who are like me or like when we first started, like, what the heck do I need to do? What one part of a piece of advice would you give to somebody that's brand new to all that? Not, not like hardcore editing, but you know, like people like me who have this little podcast that we have to put together and I would say just consult YouTube with a lot of this stuff. Like pick a program that works for you. Like what do you edit with? Um, I use Audacity. I I have like sort of the Adobe set of products. So what mm -hmm. I can do is I'll, I'll still edit. Like Premiere is 
the one editing system that I prefer the most, and that's video and audio, but I still do even just audio editing within Premiere, but I can transport all of my audio over to Audition, which is another Adobe product, where if there's like ambient noise in the background, there's a ton in the studio. So every time that I record something, I have to go into Audition just to take the baseline, like background of all the equipment on, just to extract that from all the audio. And I mean, I knew how to do this stuff on different programs uh, after mm -hmm. leaving school and just working with it a lot of the right. time. But five minute, 10 minute YouTube tutorials, they're all out there. They're all free. Like if you have the time, mm -hmm. if you want to get better at it, there's people out there who will show you how to, like, yeah. if, like if for whatever reason that after the fact, like you're coming in really low and I'm coming in really high. Now it's a tough fix to try to do that. But you can highlight the entire thing, set a hard limiter on everything, and it will equalize a lot of what you're trying to do. You do lose some quality in it, but it's not like people have to go up and down the entire time whenever I'm talking. They need yeah. to turn it way down, and whenever you're talking, mm -hmm. they need to turn it way up. And I would say that that is probably the number one thing with either videos or podcasting that people can do. Just You don't need to be a master of the technical side, but you have to think, what do I listen to? And... Mm -hmm. I, how can I make my product sound like that? And right. if you can make it sound like that, then you know, you're at the level that you need to be. It doesn't need to be, uh, it doesn't need to be produced by Quincy Jones. It, it doesn't need <laughs> to have the ultimate equalization to everything. But is this something that if I download it off Apple and you're someone brand new to the show, that if you put it into your earbud and you're walking around in the first 10 seconds, you're like, I am not fucking listening to this. This sounds horrible. Yeah. And the advice could be the greatest it ever was, but you literally sound horrible coming out of my earbuds. Like I, I I'm not going to listen to it. I, I can go to another pod. There's a million podcasts. Don't have yours have bad sound quality. And when it when podcasts first started, a lot of them did have bad sound quality. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I mean, it. What what would you? Um, what is? I know that you were t testing out different microphones and everything, but is there one piece of of equipment that like you just couldn't? do your job without that like maybe something that we would never even think is like something that's important trying to think having like a supercomputer really helps uh, yeah. especially when it comes mm -hmm. to editing because like when i was editing like even the laptop that i'm on now sometimes in a pinch if i'm at home i will have to edit on that and like exporting a one hour video on a very good laptop is still going to take me an hour an hour and a little bit just because the processing power like having a souped up computer that is solely for production purposes that same video is going to take 20 minutes to export mm -hmm. probably even in a higher quality but as it pertains to video it doesn't matter whether it's the camera and even audio wise too especially if you're doing a chat like we're doing like having two people in the same room is one thing talking to mm -hmm. someone over the internet is something different, but the single best piece of advice I could give anyone who wants to do video or audio and you're interacting with people online, hardwire your internet in and get better internet because yeah. you can buy the fanciest camera you want. It can shoot an eight sixteen K. If you have mm -hmm. a bad connection, the resolution is never going to match. So right. you're only ever going to come up and like, 360 or 480 or something like that. So if you actually want a high quality definition to make yourself look better, to make your studio look better, then you need to hardwire yourself in and get better internet. Better internet will make up for a bad camera more than a good camera will make up for bad internet. Yeah. <laughs> the internet issue is, uh, yeah, I finally had to go and bite the bullet and hardwire and do all that jazz because 
our internet is so horrible here. Like we only can have one, you know, internet company and then, you know, they suck. So, <laughs> well, the, the other thing that you can do that I've found that a lot of people are doing is like everyone is saying, I don't want to say everyone because that sounds super elitist, but if you're in this industry, a very privileged industry, mind you, uh, people have <laughs> new phones, people have everything like that. Like, I know, I, I know the video won't be out for this, but I'll take my phone. The mic that I'm speaking into right now is actually a C plug. Uh, so I can just take the adapter. Like there's a USB mic that I'm speaking into for this. I can take my adapter and plug it into my phone. If I had one of those ring lights, I can set my phone in front of me, use the mic that I'm speaking into now. The new iPhone shoots in 4K. So it's right. going to be a fantastic product. And if you have 5G in your area, your 5G is probably going to be faster than a lot of internet streams. Like Ooh. my internet at home sucks. That's why I don't yeah. do anything at home. But if I have to upload anything from home, I just hardwire my phone and tether the 5G off of it to upload uh, videos and it's way faster. That's a good little nugget to know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I just got a new phone and I got 5G. So I'll write this down. All right. right um, well, then, you, then you have to worry about, I, I mean, I remember when uh, I lived in the States, there were no like data limits on anything. We don't. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So in Canada, it's a bit of a different story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I want you to talk about Mayo Media Network because something that I'm sure the people listening to this would be interested to know more about, especially, you know, people who aren't as familiar with you as some people. So can you just, um, you know, tell me, tell us all about what Mayo Media Network is and how you got all that stuff going? It is a spot to house my show, essentially. Uh, the biggest, some of the biggest mistakes I made, and well, I probably wouldn't be on their level right now, but I see the footballers YouTube following. And we started YouTube channels around the same time. We were about neck and neck for a really long time, except they owned their own. Yeah. Uh, and it was under Fantasy Footballers, and I was doing the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube channel and growing mm -hmm. that. Uh, and then I left to go to DraftKings, and I think we had like 60, 70K subs over there back in 2016. I go to DraftKings. They have 20K subs. I'm there for three years. My show airs on there. There's 120 by the time that I leave. I'm like, I keep building other people's networks for them. Uh, I would yeah. really like to own this at this point. So I listen, DraftKings and I uh, are still in a great partnership. But they allowed me to control my show uh, as a part of me coming back and continuing my relationship with them. So I thought, why not go for it right now uh, and take a chance? I own my content and I have enough leeway and I know enough people um, where I can try to get at least have a platform where I can house my show. That's awesome. And the YouTube monetization of my show alone can help me pay for other things. So everything that I make in YouTube monetization off the channel, I told myself that I wouldn't take any of that money. That would only be money reinvested into the network. So that allows me to pay a freelance producer, my former intern at Fantasy, actually, who had been uh, working like freelance and part-time jobs. I was like, hey, you can still work your freelance and part-time, but you can work freelance for me too. Uh, I have shorter videos and I want to try to address all the sports. So for me, I cover football and I cover golf. So I got those two down. We have an in-house MMA team and they have one of the most popular uh, MMA podcast that used to be a part of my feed, even at DraftKings, their video would go up there, their podcast 
would go on the Pat Mayo experience. We spun that off. They now have their own podcast feed, their own graphics package. And just, I know a lot of people within the industry, like production wise, that if I need to get a graphic packs done, package done, I know the person to go to like, hey, I need an intro that's 10 seconds long. It needs to be moving graphics. I also need a name key. I need these three sets of graphics. Let me sketch them for you. And then you go nuts with it. Like I trust you that you know, you're a graphic designer. You know it better than I do. This is just the essential like template of what I need. You jazz it up for me. Tell, tell me how much it costs and we can usually work something out on that front because I'm paying. I, I refuse to launch any new shows that can't mm -hmm. at least break even to start off with. I just don't yeah. want to go into debt doing this. So now we have the MMA show. We have my show. I launched a hockey show this year, uh, which is every single day of the week. And I found contributors to that and then outside producers to produce that. We are launching a baseball show. It's just in the preseason now, but that's going to be every day during the baseball season. I have no doubt that I'm going to do the football version of that once it comes around too. basketball's tough. Because a lot, uh, especially the sports that I've that I've picked to do, and one of the main reasons that I got out of baseball back in 2014 and focused on golf as soon as football ended is, you know, if I record a waiver wire show on Monday morning at 7 a.m., the information may not all stay in date. That show's good for two and a half days, depending on when people's waivers are. I record by ranking show on Tuesday afternoon with Jake Seeley. We've been doing that for seven straight years. That show is good till Sunday. It's not, but people will tune into that show throughout the week until Sunday. So everything is geared towards Sunday as a part of my content. So what I do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday all has shelf life. So for golf, I do something on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. That's all good until Thursday. The problem with baseball and even more so basketball is there's like a shelf life of like an hour for this stuff. Uh, so baseball, we're going to shoot it the night before to give you a preview of what's coming up for the day. So at least we have 12 hours that we can squeeze out of that show, but then it's dead. Uh, so I found that having a sport, I mean, football is one thing because it's so popular compared yeah. to all the other sports, but dealing in MMA and golf where you can record that stuff a few days before the actual event that actually gives you a lot of lead up time to bring in new people because your content, people are still searching for it the day of the event and it's already been in the system. So when you search it on YouTube, the analytics show up a lot better for you because you're baked into the system, especially if you can tag it properly, uh, you're doing good. So once you can figure out that side of it, and listen, if you can generate like 3,000 live viewers from 6 p.m. till 7 p.m. before lock, good on you. Uh, but I just <laughs> am not able to do that. So uh, <laughs> that wouldn't be financially yeah. viable for me because I'm not selling a basketball package. So I look at someone like, I think Osimo has done a really good job of this where they have their premium package, they have their premium projections, but all of their video content is free. So they have this product to sell off this live. So like, hey, you don't have time to watch the six to seven? Well, you can buy the package or you can buy the package and watch along at the same time and use those tools along. So they can pay for it that way and they have enough subs that they can make that viable. But that's just not going to be the case for a lot of people. When you're dealing with ads in podcast or on YouTube or whatever, there is, you know, it's common knowledge that people skip ads. So is there a way to keep it fresh where you can get the ad in there and people will actually listen to the ad and not just fast forward through it? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I yeah. expect, I, I think that there is, it works better for audio than anything. Like I, I try to keep the audio reads either really long or really short. So I was experimenting with 15 second ads. 
Mm-hmm. So the premise behind that was that instead of buying a one minute ad in my show, you would buy four 15 second ads. And by the time that you knew it was an ad, when you were listening to it and got the phone out of your pocket, we'd already be back to the show. So you had yeah. to listen to it. And I still think that's a really viable strategy, but it's really hard to pitch that to people who are trying to buy podcast spots. Cause like, no, we yeah. buy one minute. It's like, Okay. Um, so that is just a tough sell, but I think that's mm-hmm. a way to actually engage people. The other one is the live read, like the most successful ads that we've ever run on the show. And we, the companies have told us about this. The ad lasts like four or five minutes because it's me and whoever I'm on with basically just trashing the product over and over. <laughs> and it's fun. Like uh, Harry's Razors uh, did mm. one with us years ago. Uh, and I, no, no, it was, uh, what the hell was the place that sold, like, remember the championship belts you could buy for fantasy? Oh, yeah. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank either. I forget what they were called. <laughs> but I, I didn't tell my co-host that we were doing an ad read. So uh, I just organically brought it up to him. I was like, hey, you know those, uh, whatever the company was, you know how they sell those like championship belts and rings? And his response was, only fucking losers would buy those. <laughs> and we, we just talked about that for two minutes, but we kept saying the name of the company and they sold more off that one ad where we were trashing it than any of like the scripted one minute reads we ever did. So (laughs) there's a way to do it, um, I suppose. I was very hesitant at first Mm -hmm. about putting like ads in my YouTube feed because they've always been ad free because Mm -hmm. like DraftKings is the title sponsor of the show. Like they're the main advertisers. That's why it's the Pat Mayo experience brought to you by DraftKings. But And so when it was on the DraftKings channel, they listened to DraftKings. What do they need the... cents for each of the things. They don't, but I do. So I felt a bit uncomfortable. Like, oh man, people are going to be so pissed that there's so many ads in this. Uh, Because I usually put like four or five in for, you know, for a 45 minute show, there'll be four ads that are skippable, obviously. Uh, And then for like a two hour show, there might be eight ads that come in like every 15, 20 minutes or so. But no one's ever complained about it. So most people probably just have ad blocker like I do. So they don't even pop up. (laughs) <laughs> yeah everybody's getting smarter and smarter i guess when it comes to the you way to get their content yeah see and that's and for people like me who listen at work i have to listen on my phone and so you know <laughs> but do you think that there's a um there's a time that people listen or or tune in to you know youtube videos is there a specific like time that you see people tuning in more or a specific time that like maybe it blows up right when it comes out and then like dwindles off. Is there, or it, is it spread out? And are there also, are there certain situations you think people listen to podcasts more than, you know, others? I wish I had true analytics on this, but I have yep. been under the working theory that I like during football season, I try to release my shows at 5.00 AM every day. Mm-hmm. Unless like the waiver wire show, I film at like 11 AM on a Monday. I'll just release that right away. Mm-hmm. The theory being that if you release at 5 p.m. or 5 a.m. Eastern time, you might still get the people who are, who are still stoned out of their mind on the West Coast who are just up late and they might listen to it. But it is yeah. there for people in their commute every single day. Yes. That they can rely on you that if they have an hour to kill on the subway, driving into work, whatever it may be, that my show will always be there for you. And as long as you're consistent with it. So my different shows mm-hmm. have different drop dates because some stuff like my golf show, my main golf show drops like 3 p.m. on a Monday, uh, every single Monday. But at least people know that's when it comes out every week. They're not like confused about when the show ever comes out. So I don't think that matters when the drop time is as long as 
you're consistent with your scheduling. You don't want to be the guy who has infrequent uploads. Like yep. even if you're just once a week, like, hey, this comes out every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern or whatever the date is that you pick. You just need to come up with some sort of schedule because then you condition the audience like, oh, yeah, it's Wednesday. Right. I'll work the Pat show because this is when it comes out. Perfect. But other people get all thrown off. Like one time a week, it's Tuesday at 7 p.m. The next week, it's Thursday at you know three o'clock in the morning. Everyone's like, eh. and then yeah. at least then people will go back and look for it if they have just you know if they weren't on checking their podcast that day or whatever. It's like, oh yeah, that show came out on Monday. I can scroll back. Mm -hmm. Inconsistent. They might just never scroll back and see it. That's yep. You're <laughs> you just nailed that one because. I subscribe to a different podcast and the ones that come out so randomly, I'm like, mm -hmm. I, I have a package at the front door. Can I go grab it? Oh, go grab it. Sure, <laughs> yeah, right All right. Cool beans. One hour later. Oh, sorry about that. Oh no, you're good. You get another microphone. No, 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 no. Like, <laughs> LED lights just showed up. I have a, do you, do you do much video work? No. Like at all? If you can tell. No, I don't. Not at all. Okay. Usually I just record this stuff um, to YouTube privately so that I have like a backup because I lost a couple episodes and blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, I was going to say, I, I just ordered these LED lights that are like outdoor floodlights. There's two of them. Oh, OK. And they're controlled by apps and okay. they will fucking light up your background. Any color that you want, like you can blend the colors and it makes a really drab camera shot look just a lot cooler oh well i mean if i ever do get into camera work it'd be cool to yeah because um yeah as you can tell <laughs> it ain't nothing special but you gave me a chance to uh really 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 look at your background while you were gone so um you can, you can pick out all of the movies <laughs> <laughs> all of them right there oh no i want to know um because of the aesthetics of your videos and how they, they pop, like it pops right now because of what you've got going on in the background and what you've got going on around you. What tips or what's, what's one major tip you think that people could take when they're doing, um, when they're doing YouTube videos and they want, you know, they want it to be something that stands out. Color, uh, brightness, I think really goes a long way, but you see, and again, it comes back to the same thing where you can be the most knowledgeable person on the planet and your audio sounds bad, so people think you're an idiot and they don't yep. want to listen to you. That when you think about, like, if you see some guy, like, you know, in a hoodie and he's kind of like hunched over like this, like reading off the screen, he could be telling you the best information in the world. But there's nothing engaging about that. Like, you know, right. there's a reason that I move my hands around all of the time. I just became conditioned to do that. But I never really thought about shooting things for YouTube despite the fact that yep. most of my career has been on YouTube because I was always trained mm -hmm. for a TV broadcast. So right. I still try to do everything like it is a TV broadcast. So like the lighting that I have in here, like mm -hmm. oh, I spend a lot of time lighting and to get the lighting in this studio right. So everything kind of looks clear. Like you know, if, really if I tilt up, you can see that there's lights on the ceiling. If right. I tilt down, you can see that there's lights on the floor and cool. just having my background lit with a slightly different temperature that the huge lights in front of me are, then it creates separation between me and the backdrop. So it gives me depth of field right away, which is something a lot of people really lack when it comes down to, that's why I have these shelves. Like the shelves are fucking mm -hmm. stupid, but it's something that juts out from the background and you're like, oh, okay. Uh, is he really far away from that wall? Cause you don't want to be 
right in front of the, like, if you're going to run a program the entire time, you need to create some sort of depth to separate right. you from everything else. So like I have a backlighting, so I have backlighting this way, front lighting this way, but the stuff behind me is lit by its own light source. Uh, so just little lighting tricks like that, that I just don't think that many people do. And that's what I was talking about with the LED lights. So what I've been mm -hmm. trying to do as a part of the network is people who are frequently either guests on my show or doing their own shows as the main host. Like a guest is a guest. Um, mm -hmm. And people tune in to hear what the guest has to say. They're not overly concerned about what their backdrop is. You know, as long as they sound good kind of thing, like their mic sounds fine. You know, I have Ben Raza on like all the time and he literally has a picture of an owl behind him on his <laughs> But he's great and he's entertaining and it doesn't really matter. But where it's my show, my shot needs to look good. Right. Um, and then that, that's the quality that people associate with me. So I guess that would be the big differentiator between me and so many other people in this space where some people give out good, uh, good picks. I don't. Um, people are up to date on stuff and it's not really my thing. I can tell some jokes, but my quality of product always looks really good compared to everyone else's. And that's kind of my thing. Like, mm -hmm when you start focusing on this and like running the network has been fun, mm -hmm. but at the same time, there's just so much more that goes into it that I don't have time to focus on the show as much like the show I can do all the time. It's still my favorite thing to do every single week, uh, every single day, like whether I'm recording two hours, three hours, 45 minutes, it doesn't matter when the lights are on and we're doing the show. It is awesome. I have a blast doing it, but everything else that surrounds it is a job. So, like today, uh, I had filmed in advance, so I had the day not necessarily off, but it was a paperwork day. So I have a paperwork day every single week where I have to track down advertisers who haven't paid for ad spots on the show, try to get into contact with them. Where I live in a different country and everyone is almost you, just US-based, uh, there's always a lot of problems with bank wires or trying to get stuff out. So it takes like three or four times. And like this one company hasn't paid me in six months. So I have to figure out how to get my money from them. And they're always, they always write me like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah it doesn't work. I, I bet you it doesn't work. So I have to figure out a way to make it easier <laughs> for them to be able to pay me. But just being able to keep on track of that stuff because we're not big enough where I can be like, oh yeah, you're the sales guy now. You go out, make the sales and you get the receivables that come in. All of that is falling onto me. Um, all of the talent search is falling onto me. Coming up with new show ideas is all falling onto me. And the one thing that I don't want to do is deteriorate the quality of my show and the analysis on my show solely because you know I have other things on my mind right now because that's the main reason that people tune in, at least to you know, the Mayo Media Network, they tune in to see my show. Uh, and if my show starts to suck, you know, people are going to tune out pretty quickly. It doesn't matter really what else is going on. You're the golf guy. I mean, people know you as the golf guy, basically. You're the, the dude that has that on lock. Um, when you first started doing the golf, the fantasy golf, did you think that it would be as popular as it is? Or did you think that maybe... Uh, this is kind of a waste of my time. It wasn't necessarily, I've never really considered much a, a waste of my time because content yeah. is content. But right. I, I just remember the stick to football, stick to football. Like whenever I would talk about anything else. Yeah. Because I mean, I, I still make my bones in football. Like people right. know me as golf guy, but my football show <laughs> you know, 20 times the amount of downloads right. and views. So to a certain segment of people who watch both, they like mm -hmm. the golf stuff because they, they got into golf because of me. They were into right. football already. But there's a giant segment, like the non-engaged segment of my audience mm -hmm. are football fans. They tune right. in like, hey, Pat puts out eight football shows a week. Perfect. 
I love football. I'll tune into this. He's talking about golf. Golf is stupid. I don't want to listen to that. So it's a fine balance, but I think I found the right partner to do the show with, uh, and that really helped. Uh, Jeff Feinberg and myself, uh, we have good chemistry. That's why we do the golf show every week. We do the football show every week in football season. And those are, it's funny because those aren't necessarily the most viewed shows on YouTube, but the audio numbers back up that those are by far the most popular shows. It's not even close. Uh, people like that. That's the one golf show or one football show that they'll listen to every single week is that one. The other stuff, eh, give or take, maybe their auto downloads are on, who knows. Uh, and you can just see audio wise what rates higher where the... The views on YouTube are pretty flat. A lot of it is just what you name it and how you tag it, <laughs> to be perfectly yeah. honest with you. Like you have your core audience and they're always going to tune mm -hmm. into all the shows that you do. And then how big it gets from there is SEO. <laughs> how, how do you how do you come up with the the hashtags and the, the things like that? For those of us who have no clue what YouTube or how any of that stuff works in general, like... What are some tips for people who are putting out YouTube videos, like with the hashtags, with the titles, thumbnails, all that stuff? Uh, having a unique thumbnail, like something to be like, whoa, to draw people in. Um, it wasn't really my doing, but at Fantasy, um, we had one guy who would work on weekends and he would get really good views on these videos. What the fuck is going on? Like these videos are horrible and they have nothing to do. <laughs> but all the thumbnails were like bikini chicks. Um, and people thought it was porn, so they kept clicking on it. <laughs> I was like, okay, uh, that's one way to go about it. It's that not really my way. strategy, but th that seems to be getting clicks. Like I released, uh, I do a side series called Cuss Corner, uh, which is just more of a comedy show on the network. That also has now been spun off into its own feed. But we did the 30th episode over the past three and a half years over Christmas time. And we always did no Roman numerals for everything. So Cuss Corner 30 was Cuss Corner XXX. It got like yeah. 60,000 hits. <laughs> it's <was> great. <laughs> People were very upset in the comment section that it was yeah. not as advertised. Wrong. But I like I didn't even <laughs> think of it at the time, but I was like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So though, I mean, you can use different services like TubeBuddy is a good one, an extension that you can plug into Chrome that will suggest titles, suggest tags, and how you can deck all of that out. VidIQ is another one. Uh, you know, I think TubeBuddy is free for its like initial version, but it's all stuff you have to pay for, but it's worth it to pay for it if this is what you're serious about doing. However, when it came to titling articles, uh, it's like, and this was more back in the day, like why my waiver wire column at Roto Experts, for example, used mm -hmm. to get so many hits. Uh, they would get more hits than the rest of the site combined during the week. And that was like a staff of like 50 people. And then I would get accused of like rigging it somehow. It's like, I didn't rig it. I released it at midnight on Sunday, every single week. So the moment the Sunday night football game ended, my column was published. Um, and I used to put a lot of work. I used to write it all day long. Uh, I just don't have time to do that anymore. So I don't do it. It's just a list of names now. But having it out at midnight, no one used to do that. It was the first one out. Mm -hmm. So it would get into Google right away before ESPN could knock me out, before CBS could knock me out, or even Roto World or Roto Wire, whatever it might be, my article was the only freestanding waiver wire column up for eight hours. Wow. Um, so when people would Google waiver wire pickups week 13, I would be the only game in town. Uh, and that's why you even see now that like, I always, cause I was just kind of try to scan through it on a Sunday evening, like, Hey, waiver wire pickups, like SI or some like fan-sided or something they have like a slideshow out that's literally like three names on a list and that's the entire thing but it pops up first so i know they're yeah. getting pretty good traction out of it so i would say and i titled my column 
2000 or like whatever the year might be, 2016 week four waiver wire pickup rankings. That was the name of the column. Because I used to do like a rankings column where I did flex rankings. It was like the Flexbird pun title. It's like, no. <laughs> I, I essentially learned that it's best to name the titles of your articles or the titles of your videos on YouTube stuff people Google and then they will find. Mm. That I, I mean, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. I, I mean, yeah, you think that that's common sense, but then I think back and I'm like, how hard of time did I have, you know, naming this article or naming that article? And, you know, when it's really just like you said, put what people search for. So that is good advice. Um, when you put out your rankings or you put out, you know, pick up who to pick up or all of that jazz. Um, when you first started doing that kind of stuff, did you ever worry that like the advice you were giving out? I mean, you, like you said, you're, you know, not the expert, 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 but did you, were you ever concerned that like you would give somebody quote unquote the wrong advice and then people would be pissed off? with you about that kind of stuff? People are going to be pissed off with you no matter what. So yes. you you eventually learn to get over that. But now I, I do, listen, I, I always joke about the crap advice that I put out. But <laughs> like it's not median type advice. But back in like the early aught, like early teen, what are we calling the 2010s? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> We're calling so it. Uh, like 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, yeah. 2014, 2015. I would say I had some of the best advice out there. Um, I yeah. really do. Like whether it was playing in industry leagues, I was winning all of them. And it just once once DFS started, DFS really took my mind away from season long fantasy football. And now it's just more of a hobby that I do. Uh, and I just I know it's so good for content because uh, it's funny because the like the ranking show that I'll do will get the most hits YouTube wise but is the least profitable out of all the shows. Cause no one wants, I mean, basically the footballers have a lockdown on season long fantasy football advice for premium packages. Uh, everything else, if you're going to sell it probably needs to be daily fantasy or gambling related at that point. And that's a path that I decided to go down in 2014 was, you know, I'm going to dedicate half my coverage to season long fantasy football and then DraftKings football and gambling on football. And now it's like 70, 30, the other way, like, the, the season-long fantasy football is just there as a net to bring people in so they can find my show and maybe they'll tune into the other stuff. So I, I don't put as heavy of an emphasis on it at this point. And frankly, like I do my rankings the same way that I've always done it. It's just football's changed a lot in 10 years too, yeah. where it used to be really easy to rank people because 28 of the 32 teams would have a primary running back and that yep. running back would get 85% of the carries every single week on your team. And if that guy got hurt, the next man up was a very logical next man up. Like how many bell cow back situations do we have in football at this point? Three, four that we can like actually count on. Like it's, it's a lot more of a crapshoot now than it's ever been for like week to week rankings that you see people go back to the crutch of best ball all the time. People are like, oh yeah, well I'd take him in best ball. It's like, yeah, great. You can take anyone in yeah. best ball and I like justify it. As a <laughs> oh and yeah. He'll hit one time. The, the one thing that I still think that I do that a lot of people just seem to be scared to do because everyone's just so scared to be wrong and be outed for it is if people ask me a question, I'll give them an answer. Like yeah. you're asking me, here's what I would do. I right. don't know if it's right or not, but here's what I would do if it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, you, went on the internet and got free advice from someone and it was wrong. Shame on you. 
But like you wanted to ask someone, you wanted to run it off them. You ran it off me. This is what I would do. So like my rankings are just very peculiar, I think, compared to everyone else in the industry. Not everyone else, but like it's not the chalk as it comes down to it. If I have a feeling on a guy or I've done research on this guy of why I think he's in a good matchup, I, you know, at wide receiver, like you can rank ninth for me over good guys. Like, yeah, I'd play that guy. He's set up great. And if it doesn't work out, you'll look like an idiot, but you know, so be it, whatever. <laughs> yeah. What I mean, you're not going to be right a hundred percent of the time. Nobody is. Um, but you were talking about the gambling aspect of everything and how has gambling blown up over the last, you know, handful of years well it's funny because in canada we've been doing this for 15 years yeah. so it's not new to us <laughs> uh, well gambling isn't legalized here it's also not illegal here right. it's just in a gray zone so it's been unregulated so i've had the bet 365 app on my phone for you now since they had apps and launched it so 2012 or so, and like we could gamble at corner stores here. Like when I was 19, I could go do that. So I'm pretty familiar with the gambling space as are a lot of international people coming into it. So like, unless you were in Vegas, um, I mean, people found workaround ways and offshore sites and everything like that, but you really had to go out of your way in order to do it. So we've been, I've been doing gambling content for since 2013, 2012-ish. And even I, I would do a column every single week with spread picks in them, uh, even from 2009 on, like when I first started doing this and there was no market for it, there was no market for it. And then ever so slowly, gambling gets legalized. And that's the one problem that I have with season-long fantasy football right now is like all these other things are just more fun and immediate that I don't want to have to sift through. Like, I remember one year at fantasy, I was in 49 leagues. I had to get an intern to manage my teams on a Sunday morning. If someone got yanked, because I was live on TV, I didn't have time to go change my guys. Yeah. And I was like, this is too much. Like, I don't want to have to spend four hours or five hours every Sunday and Monday setting waiver bids for all these different leagues that I don't care about. And then I found the sneaky little thing about industry leagues where, I mean, the Scott Fishbowl is one thing that is the one that people want to win, but like the other industry leagues that go along, Oh, you join, you join four or five of them. You see which one you're doing well. in after three weeks and just don't care about the other ones anymore, try to win that one. Then there's enough people doing the same things in your leagues. It basically gives everyone a free win. So everyone gets to be a winner. Hey, <laughs> that's a nice little hack there. Um, how many leagues are you in now? Two. How many leagues? To two? Two. Two season-long fantasy football leagues. The, the I say one two, I play, like... <laughs> like the number two. This two, yeah. Uh, I play in the same one I've played in that I started with. So we're on like year 20 now of that. So it's cool. still all my all my old friends. So it's a great way for us. And the only reason we it's like 100 bucks to buy in. Like It's so we can talk shit to each other and stay in contact at this point. Uh, which is much easier to do now, now that everyone knows how to use Zoom. And then there is another one I play with another set of friends that I've made over the years. Uh, and I do play in, I'm in the League of Leagues, which is a three-sport league. It's baseball, basketball, and football yeah. all in one. So you can trade across sports. So we've been doing that for like seven, eight years now. Me, uh, Chris Meany and I run that one together. So that's that one is just kind of fun to go do. And, you know, we're like the two least known people in the league. So it's good for us. That's a good networking opportunity for us uh -huh. uh, that we can, that we're at the very bottom of the totem pole. So whoever we talk to uh, is only going to be above us uh, during that. <laughs> so we have to stay in it. I think we won it two years ago. So that, you know, that pays for the rest of its time, but I, I just don't have the time for it or the patience for it anymore. Uh, when I can, I don't like, cause let's say, you know, you're really good at season long fantasy football. 
and you play in a league that's a $200 buy-in. And at the end of the year, the winner wins $1,600, let's say. I mean, the fantasy football playoffs, season-long by and large, are pretty random to begin with. One injury and you're done. Yeah. Like, that's it. It's over. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I know I can put down you know, five times that money on DraftKings every single week and pick the particular contest that I want. Or say, you know what? I'm just not feeling I don't like the slate this week. I'm not going to play. Or, you know what? I like the spreads this week. I can go bet on football this week. And then I actually I don't have to wait 17 weeks to get my money back. I can wait three hours to get my money back and then reinvest if I want to, too. So I think there's an immediacy where I just maybe over time I've lost patience that there's something fun. The game of fantasy football, I still love, but I think I ruined it by playing in too many leagues for so long that it just desensitized me to the entire thing that it made it not fun anymore. I totally get that. And I had to. I keep whittling them down, but then every now and then I'll add a new one and I kick myself for it. So you got to say no. The thing is like, when, <laughs> especially like right when I was first starting out or if someone who was like, Oh, I look up to this guy. They asked me to be in a league. Like I got to say, yes, mm-hmm. you can say no. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm only in four, I think right now, but like that's a lot less than, than I have been. So I think four might be a decent number for me at the moment. Um, <laughs> I, do you um, do you think that, okay, I know that with COVID and everything that has happened with the pandemic that some people were like, I'm not going to play fantasy football this year just because like the uncertainty of if it's going to, you know, if it's, there's going to be an outbreak or my players going to, you know, how are they going to handle all this? Um, do you think that being at home though, because of a pandemic that maybe do you think betting and, and daily fantasy and, and things of that nature was there any growth growth you think during that time period because people were at home or do you think that like people were just like, nah, football might not even happen. No. Cause I think that once football did happen, everyone's like, Oh, I need to get in the league. So I don't know if yeah. the, I actually don't know what the numbers for season long were <clears throat> across the board, but I would imagine they were the same and right. or a little bit of growth, but just sports betting blew up this year because it mm-hmm. was just legal in more States and people right. can do it from, people can do it from an app and it's not, Oh, I need to go into this auction and it takes, you know, 10 hours of research and I need to do it for two hours. Like, no, I like the Giants to win this week. I'll put a hundred bucks on them. Like, that's mm-hmm. the extent of it. Now I can go watch the game. And I think that the yeah. primetime games really help with that, too. It's like, oh, why do I need to watch Jags Titans on Thursday night? It's like, oh, let me throw 50 bucks on the Jags. Now I'll watch yeah. until they're cooked. <laughs> yeah. so I, I think it's just easier. And people yeah. and it brings in. Like, I think that we got out of the phase like, oh, fantasy sports is basically like Dungeons and Dragons for, you know, sports. Uh, you know, it's just the nerdiest thing you can do. And I mean, there is a lot of truth to that. But yeah. at the same time, it lost that stigma from what it had 10, 15 years ago that everyone just kind of does it at this point. But it's the same reason that like a March Madness pool at your office is infinitely more popular than trying to find nine other people to start a fantasy football league with. Yeah. Because I can do it in five minutes. And I don't really need to know anything about it. So there's that appeal to sports betting that I think that it's eventually going to trump all of it. But, mm-hmm. well, the States is just so weird to me because I know that like there are certain <laughs> States where like people are like really going to frown on gambling. You know, it's a sin, that kind of thing where it's like, all right, um, there's still enough people who want to do it. Once Texas, New York and California open themselves up, it's going to be a bonanza of money. Yeah. I mean, yeah, being in Texas, it's like one of those things where you're like still an outsider looking in. But hey, um, do you think that there's any social media platform that could come around in the future that will overtake Twitter? Or do you think Twitter's going to always be boss? 
I don't know. Cause I see people on Instagram who do really well, like their entire following mm-hmm. is on Instagram and yeah. they really have no Twitter presence whatsoever. And it's sort of a monopoly for them in that space. Like I, I don't even have TikTok, so I couldn't tell you, but I'm sure that there are four or five prominent TikTok creators doing fantasy football or football stuff that are generating a huge audience because of it. One of the things that I wanted to do with the network is like hire some 21 year old to basically stay on top of all of the social media that just is not for me (laughs) and figure out a way where we can have a presence on that because, you know, like, you know, I was one of the first people on Twitter. I've been on Twitter for over a decade. Uh, Facebook at the same time. I don't really use Facebook all that often, but at least I understand it in a way. I know how people use it and you can buy your ads on there and target certain people. So that can work out well. Whereas Twitter can be a bit more organic if you're trying to like, Google searches for your stuff comes up. I understand that part, but the more we get into it, like I don't quite know how to use Instagram to push people to my content. So I don't use it for that reason. And like I said, I don't have TikTok. I didn't have Snapchat when it came out. So I need someone who's not closer to 40 than 20 uh, to be able to figure this out for me uh, rather than me trying to do, because I don't want to be like old guy on this platform looking like a moron because I don't know how to use it or I'm using it in like, the old you're person like in my space over here. You're like back in the day, my live journal or whatever, you know, like, yeah. And like, that's not <laughs> what the platforms are for. Like if I was going to get involved with them, I would need some sort of consultant to tell me like, no, yeah. this is how you should be doing it. Cause that's not the way that I produce content. I could right. produce it that way, but like, I don't have, I don't have the inclination. It doesn't come natural to me to record things in certain ways. Like I see people do like a lot of like Nick, for example, does a lot of like jump cut stuff. Uh, in the course of his programming like that. If the, the first thing at broadcasting school we were told is like, do ne- never do a jump cut. But <laughs> it worked for him. That's his style. It's not my style. It's his style. And it, it mm-hmm. it's fine because yeah. if you can like own whatever style that you have and make that a part of your content, then that's the way it should be done because that's the way that you've embraced it. That's the way your audience has come to accept it. I think my audience would be freaked out if I started doing it. It's like, what, did, is there like a error in Pat's recording? Did he just, <laughs> he, did it freeze for a second? I, I don't know what's going on here because I've just never done it that way. So I wouldn't want right. to try to tackle a new platform with sort of the antiquated way that I try to produce content, which works for me in certain avenues, but probably wouldn't translate all that well to other, th- other, eh, other stuff. I agree. <laughs> I'll just say that. <laughs> um, okay, so... You have been on Twitter since, yeah, the beginning of Twitter. I, I have too. And I remember when, uh, like, I was going back and looking at old stuff. Like, why was Pat Mayo one of the guys that was on my radar from the very beginning? And it's just, like, quality that you put out all the time, right? So all the stuff I was looking at. And then I looked, and one of the tweets said, which fantasy football expert are you? And this was in 2008 or something. And it was like... I got you and you were like, I got me too. So <laughs> that was that was an interesting little, I don't know what the questions were. It's not there anymore, but I don't know. I guess that, that, that was good marketing for whatever site put that out. I don't know how I got involved with that, but I don't, they didn't even ask me for that, but I did take the test and I got myself, which was you good. You did get yourself. This, this, and, test, and, must, this <laughs> test must work. I mean, and, yeah, I, I thought that was very interesting. You didn't end up with somebody else. Um, and then also... Like back in the day, this is the thing I think that stood out the first 
time that like I was really like, ah, oh, Pat Mayo. It was uh, you were doing rankings or something with Titans, and you had brought up Naya Rivera um, with uh, Michael Rivera, his sister. Like she was on the ranking. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'm good. I'm good now with this dude. So, yeah. That that used to be. <laughs> Where I would just do rankings list and like yeah. by the end of it, like half the people had hyperlinks to their stupid nicknames or to whatever yeah. it went to. Yeah, mm-hmm. Michael Rivera. Fuck, whatever happened. Michael to that Rivera. Sister uh, was a babe though. Was yes. she on Glee? She was on Glee. Yes, and that's where she was from. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah. at Roto Experts, I had the leeway. <laughs> I was my I was yep. my own publisher. Like I mm-hmm. was my own editor. So I could immediate just because I the immediacy what I wanted everything to release like the the old boomers who work there weren't up at one o'clock in the morning publishing articles to have them out right away like they'd get to it the next day at three and if there was a word that was spelt in slang like that's not AMA approved you know we're trying to win awards <laughs> I I remember getting a lecture from one of the guys at the site like this this is not at, up to FSWA quality like this is not what we represent then the uh, awards got released and i was the most nominated person yeah. in the I business say, and i was like you. yeah he, i basically told him to go fuck himself and never read over my stuff again yeah but he didn't get no. my jokes like I, I had fat joe fat joe jokes going on through it and this is a while ago <laughs> obviously he's like well i don't understand this joke he's like i don't care if you don't understand it don't fucking read it yeah, yeah. I, I get very uptight about my content when it comes to editing. That's why yeah. I've always been a self-editor. Even I still edit my video shows to this day. I want them to look and sound a certain way, and I want them to always be in my voice. And, I mean, I, I publish my rankings over at DraftKings now, and they're not as free-flowing of, hey, Pat wants to link back to this weird site where I, I used to do this on Roto Experts. Uh, it was a site of this video that I found. I think it's staged, but it's from like some Dateline thing about this man and this woman who met on the internet about their love of miniature horses. And then it turned out they were actually just having sex with a miniature horse. <laughs> and oh. it is the funniest thing. Like just, it swerves. It's like, oh, well, you don't see any of this stuff. It's just, it's just yeah. them talking about it. So I think it's a parody. But it's a really good parody, if not yeah. of like a really like in-depth news story. And I tried that at DraftKings once. They're like, yeah, no more links in your articles. We're not doing this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I like about you. I know that's what everybody else likes about you too. Not the videos of horses and all that jazz. <laughs> We're not going to go into that anymore. But no, just the fact that you're real and that we can tell that you're not a fake person, that the content you put out, like, like you said, you could be free-flowing. Like you wanted to be... You got nominated, you got the most nominations, all this stuff. I just, it, it's just really awesome to see somebody like that in this industry that you can tell is being like pure. And like I had Derek Brown on the other day, I was interviewing Debo. him. Yeah, Debo. <laughs> and he was like, um, I told him that, you know, I'd be talking to you. And he was like, oh my God, all he had was like praise for you. Like, it was so great. It's so great. <laughs> uh, that's awesome to hear. So I, when I first hooked up with Derek was at FTN where you know, I'm a, you know, one of the co-founders of that site, uh, mm-hmm. albeit not like Brad and or Jeff or that kind of thing where they're heavy, heavy over there. I'm sort of you know a contributor and a promoter uh-huh. and that whole jazz and sort of the business end of things. But I did a Friday night show with Derek and just a lot of their personalities who needed a bit more shine. Um, people didn't really... I mean, they knew who they were, but right. just me doing a show on that night, people would come see these guys and they're real talents. Like they know so much. Really and do. I remember like, even when I go, I, that's why I enjoyed about coming on your show. Like you didn't send me like, oh, here are the nine topics that we're talking about. Like, <laughs> I don't do that for like, cause we had been talking about like, well, what's the structure of this show is like, they're going to say go and we're going to talk an hour about fantasy football. 
that's going to be it. And yep. if you're not prepared to answer the question that I'm asking you, you shouldn't be on the show. And once people get that through their minds, I find they're a lot better on camera. Like they're not scared about the question that's coming. At least they have the confidence to know that like, if I ask you about this particular player, like I'll have an answer. It might not be the right, right answer, but I've, <laughs> I can think about this in real time and give you an honest answer. So as a host, which I've really morphed into at this point, how can you suck that out of people? So like working with Derek, he was awesome at it. You're like, mm -hmm. I'm just going to ask you like five questions in a row and you're going to have to answer them. You're on the spot right now. <laughs> I have not prepped you for this whatsoever. I want to hear it. And like having the ability to be a guest and do that makes you a really good guest. And it makes the show a lot more engaging because you don't want to be the, uh, uh, well, I don't really know. Yeah. And then have the, like I said before, like when people ask you on Twitter, like this guy or this guy, hey, it's this guy. Like have an opinion on it. Like you're here to have an opinion, right, right or wrong. People are asking you things. Don't be the person that says, well, you know, I can see reasons why this guy would be really good. And, but I can also see a reason why this guy would be really good. So you don't want to be fucking wrong is <laughs> what you're saying. I see way right. too many people do it. And there's, there's nothing authentic about that. I mean, you could say that there is something authentic because they're giving you both sides of an argument. That's not what people want to hear. They want to hear, who should I play? <laughs> yes, right to the point. Yes, exactly. But that's the boil down part of it. Like I was talking about with the guy that was doing 40 minute soccer shows who should be doing mm -hmm. five minute soccer mm -hmm. shows. Why should I play these guys? You don't need to write me a novel of why I should play them. Give me a fact. It's like when it's a lot like when you hear analysts tell always bring up where people went to college. Yeah. Like, oh, this guy is a you know former Gator. This guy. I don't even know he's a fucking former Gator. That's you trying to show that you know where he went to college. That adds zero value to it. And it makes you sound like kind of an asshole when you continue <laughs> to do it. Like yeah. once every few shows about a certain guy, that's fun. But every guy, not so much. That's you trying to show how much you know. And right. the audience doesn't care. Mm -hmm. How do you how do you balance, you know, putting out content for people who are just the casual fantasy football player? Uh, versus the people that like are like addicted to fantasy football and making sure that you don't come off, like you said, sounding like you're, you know, this pompous jackass over here that knows everything, but at the same time, you know, that you know your stuff. Well, it's funny because I get to come off, uh, part of the shtick is that I get to come off like a pompous asshole, but I get to be the pompous <laughs> asshole who doesn't know the stuff, which is just yeah. a really weird mix yeah. for people. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I find my... I try to gear my season long fantasy football content towards people who just randomly stumble across the show, who might be playing in a league with their friends, potentially for the first time ever. You don't want to go so far into talk over those people's heads. What you can do, and it's taken a really long time to do it is continue to speak in language that they might not know, but it's stuff that is logical at the same time. So if we're like, it's like using a dot, as for an example, like I remember when I used to have Clay and Radcliffe on the show six years ago, like, hey, we're talking about ADOT. I remember I got a whole bunch of people asking me, like, what the hell is ADOT? But once I started saying average depth of target, people could understand that. Hmm. So you can't assume that everyone knows what you do, but you also don't want to alienate the people who are there for more, the more hardcore analysis. So how do you spin that together. Uh, I, th I feel like saying things out loud and it's like not using the acronym and using the, the full whatever it might be is just, I mean, it's descriptive. The acronym is great if you're looking at a spreadsheet, but if you're trying to articulate to that to the audience who may not know that, using the full word describes what you're talking about. Like just for example, something like 
Marcus Valdez Scantling, his average depth of target is 23.3. No idea if that's true, but we know he's a guy that he's a deep ball guy. So if he does convert, and this is more of like if you're looking for a sleeper this week, like the chances of him coming up zero are highly likely because his targets are all downfield. However, if he hits on one of them, he's made his day for you. If he hits two of them, he's going to be one of the top 15 wide receivers of the week. So is that a gamble that you want to take right now? Versus someone like Juju Smith-Schuster, who for the year with Ben in 2020, his average depth of target is 5.8. So that's essentially telling me that he's not running routes downfield. He's running near the line of scrimmage, which means he's going to be a more volume, target-based type receiver. So if your league plays with bonuses for yardage, he's rarely going to crack 100 yards. But if you play in full point PPR, the chances of him seeing 10, 12, 14 targets in a game are much higher. And his catch rate is going to be infinitely higher than someone whose average depth of target is four times what he is because it's just an easier throw to make. So saying it in that sort of parlance, whether you knew anything or not, I think trying to juxtapose those two players and those two types of players explains it pretty well in a concrete amount of time if you had no idea what I was talking about going into it. Wow. <laughs> I just listened to that and just like took it all in. Um, that, yes, that was, yeah. Um, what do you, what do you like to do in your free time when you're not working? Oh God. Um, nothing <laughs> if you, anymore. If you have free time. <laughs> um, well, the, the problem was like from basically from the onset of me going to broadcasting school in mm -hmm. 20, I was a bit of a layabout. Basically all I did all day was smoke weed and not do anything and like go to college half the time, write some tests work part-time, play poker part-time, having enough money to survive, not live really extravagantly or anything like that, but that was good enough. Had money to buy weed and spend the entire yep. day snowing, <laughs> drinking on weekends, going to bars. That's what my 20s was. Yep. Uh, but once like, once I moved cities again, got to Toronto, I was like, I got to give this a real shot. Um, and I was someone who always excelled in school, went to college on scholarship, which got revoked because I never went to class uh, and then had to switch majors <laughs> and, and colleges. Uh, but I was like, I didn't give college a real go the first time around. Like I, I barely yeah. tried. I barely showed up. I'm going to do this for real. So I, I was older then. I was 24, 25 when I went and the people that I was in class with were like 18 or 19 doing what I did when I was 18 or 19. You're like, I'm just going to fucking run laps around these guys. I'm going to end up with the best internship out of this. I'm going to get to go to the best place out of it. And I'm just going to like this. It's free equipment right now. The doors are never locked. I can be in this editing bay from midnight to 6 a.m. if I want to be and no one's going to bother me. So that's what I did for two years uh, to be able to teach myself all of the stuff beyond what they were teaching us anyway. How can I put this into practice? But like when I was working at fantasy, I was working seven days a week. Uh, Sundays were horrible. Uh, I would mm -hmm. show up at 6 a.m. on Sundays, get the articles all updated, get to the Twitter questions, prep the show two hours live that day, watch all the games at the office, stay there and film again at midnight in the main studio to film the injury and waiver wire show uh, and be prepping that the entire time. Then I have to go edit it, do the sound effects and do the mixing. I would get out of there around eight o'clock the next morning. So it was a 26 hour shift, which no one asked me to do. It's just what I wanted to do because I thought it was smart to do. I've learned throughout time that probably it wasn't the healthiest thing to be doing. But then I ended up uh, meeting my now wife on Tinder and we ended up moving in together. And she was like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, why, why do you work so much? Like, are they asking you to work this much? Like, no, they don't. But if I want to have my show, this is the only way that I get to do it. I have to put in the hours because I have other work that I have to do. 
my show is sort of a side project on all of this and I have to give it a real go. And once I decided to give all of this a real shot to be able to do. So my free time became monopolized with doing more work, uh, which is not the healthiest thing in the world and is not necessarily the case anymore. But at that time it was for me. So I got into this pattern of working like 90 hour weeks, uh, especially during football. When football wasn't on, then you can ease back a little bit, but it was so not necessarily profitable, not at the time, at least for me, but just in terms of exposure and people finding my work, football season's the cash cow. That's the reason that all of these sites gear everything they have all year long around football. TV networks gear everything they do around football. They want to launch a new show. Well, if Al Michaels is telling him telling it to you on it on a Sunday night, well, chances are you might watch it because now you've actually heard of this new show on NBC. So it's football is the funnel that funds this entire industry, not just football, all of the sports. So hitting football out of the park, especially the first four weeks of football, um, and even really the preseason content like August through September is money time for all content creators. And people are actively looking for you now. So if you have a product that people want to find, they will stick with you from that point on if you can keep maintaining that high level of quality. So if people out there are really trying to gear and focus in and you have two months to spend on something, those are the two months to focus on content wise, not the only two months, but those are the two most important months uh, to gain all of the new following that you're going to get throughout the course of the year. I think I pick up YouTube subs, Twitter followers, whatever it is, like over the course of the year, I would say that 60% of them or more are picked up in August and September than any other point in the year. And I do masters and players, and I'm one of the only people in the space for that. And that does really well for me, but it's not the same as football. Football being such this this huge thing that everybody you know can enjoy if they want to, and and fantasy football being as big as it is, and and everything. Is there anything in fantasy football that you think is going to become a standard in fantasy football that you know maybe some like a, a rule or a, a scoring setting or something like that that you think might become the next like you know tight end premium or PPR or whatever you know. The only thing that I can think about football in that term, I mean, PPR is really the last one that I think that actually yeah. became a standard. Yeah. And like when people, like we used to always say, you know, standard scoring, like standard scoring is PPR now. PPR now. <laughs> oh, like how many people play in non-PPR league? So it's either half point yeah. or full PPR, mm -hmm. but like your stand, your standard old school, no PPR leagues doesn't really exist anymore. Like they exist, but they're not popular, are they? I don't think they are that popular. I know that <laughs> I know there are certain people that don't like PPR because I think PPR overcorrects now. Like at the time it wasn't, but now I mean, but what are you gonna do? Like <laughs> people just but, want something to complain about. I could see Superflex becoming a thing. Yeah. Uh, that is more standardized across just because it makes quarterbacks like why would any like look, I know there's a debate that we've been having for <laughs> ten years, but why would you ever draft a quarterback early if you if yeah. there's 12 teams in your league and you only have to play one. Right. Yeah. Like what, what is the difference? Like, cause you hope to get lucky with the Lamar Jackson from two years ago or the Josh Allen from this year. Like, yeah, there's going to be one or two outliers every year that score way above everyone else, but they're not usually the first quarterback taken. They're the guys that you take in the 10th round. Right. So <laughs> if you, if you introduce super flex and you can play two quarterbacks, then it kind of actually washes out and makes quarterbacks valuable because you don't want to be stuck with Nick Foles at that no. point. And having two great quarterbacks can really be a premium. So I can see that, but yeah, I think that fantasy sure. football just gets more niche 
from here mm. to tell you the truth, uh, rather than anything becoming more standard as gambling gets more standard or daily fantasy gets more standard. The people that would really be pushing this stuff. And like, I mean, how do you see it from the outside? Do you find that the, like, just think about the amount of dynasty content that's mm -hmm. out there right now. Like right. what percentage of people who play fantasy football play dynasty 3% maybe. Yeah. Less. But, yeah, it's not a big yeah, it's not a big number at all. But the people who play it are the most passionate people about fantasy football. So there's a market for content for that. I don't know if we're going to find the same thing for tight end premium point and a half PPR leagues. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Yeah. Like when you break things off into these niche type <laughs> things, if you don't have an enthusiastic and passionate fan base for them, they're just not going to survive. So we see that with best ball because uh, best ball is easy because everyone's favorite part about fantasy football generally is drafting. So if you can just go on an app and fire up a like go to the underdog app or DraftKings app and fire up a best ball because I'm bored because I'm waiting in line to get food or something like that. And I can complete a draft and that entire time. I can see, I don't like best ball, but I can see why people like doing that. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that's why DraftKings and Daily Fantasy took off right away. It's like, oh, I can just draft a team every week. And right. my guys, if they get hurt, I can just draft a new team next week. That sounds great. I can, I can spend five minutes doing this. I, mean, I, think, I don't even need to draft against anyone else. I can just pick a team. And gambling mm -hmm. is even the easier version easier. of that. So as you see, you're just you know, going throughout time and how social media has evolved, how our attention spans have evolved, the easier, the better. So when you see something like Dynasty or even just Superflex uh, and adding these new little wrinkles, you need people who are pretty serious on board about fantasy football. Right. New people or people who are very casual about it, they just don't give a shit. Not, not at all. Well, I'm going to um, go ahead and let you plug your stuff. I know we've been talking about it this whole time, but um, just go ahead. One last hurrah. Go ahead and give everybody your information. Mayo Media Network on YouTube. You can uh, follow the series of Mayo Media Network podcasts. I think we're up to nine shows now across all of the different sports. So please go subscribe to those like subscribing, liking, commenting uh, to, you don't need to do it for me. You can do it for me. That'd be great. But for whoever your favorite provider is just like leaving Apple reviews um, mm -hmm. that helps out the content creators so much that it's hard. It's hard. People don't believe you when you tell them that it really does mean a lot, but that's how you show up in searches. That's how you show up in the algorithm. That's how you move up the charts. So if you like a show, uh, that's what the best way you can do to help them. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the PME, everything like that. If you are getting into this and it is your full-time job and you really want to make a go of it, starting a site or whatever, you might not be there right like on the onset, but once you start to grow, investing in good equipment is great. Investing in good people is great, but get yourself an accountant and get yourself a lawyer. The amount of money that I have left on the table by not realizing that sooner uh, is not great. Thanks again, Pat, for coming on. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. This was fun.